Resolute Square. Welcome to The Zero Line, produced by Resolute Square. I'm Sergeant Sarah Ashton Cirillo of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, and every week we'll be bringing you inside Ukraine's war for liberty and liberation against the Russian enemy, while explaining how a victory by us on the battlefield isn't just vital for the Ukrainian people, but for the world as a whole. We will push back against the lies regarding this war for freedom and take you straight to the front lines of the fight for democracy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Zero Line. I am Lisa Senecal, executive editor with Resolute Square. And even though I'm sitting here in a black T-shirt, this is still Sergeant Sarah Ashton Cirillo with the Armed Forces of Ukraine. And Lisa, thanks for allowing me to zoom in from the side of a road in Kyiv. Normally, the whole idea was that, hey, we're going to have the studio, but I've been called to a meeting with command in just a little while. And so thanks for thanks for letting me call in from the side of the road. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I have to I have to remind myself constantly because we're doing this on Zoom for people who are only listening to the audio version of this, that when you and I are talking about stuff that we're looking at or places that we are, we actually have to tell people what what the scene is. So Sarah's in a car sitting in the front seat and heading off to a meeting. Just so your audience knows, uh, and I don't think you know the story, even though you were talking to me definitely at that time, because we did several projects together. I'm sitting in a 2004 Nissan Navara that's missing part of its front end, because as I was taking it into battle, it wrecked in a tree. However, it still continued to run, and I was able to still use it uh, in battle that night for evacs at the front line, at the zero line, legitimately at the zero line. And they've asked me to get a different vehicle because, you know, with the, I'm in the city now, right? I'm supposed to be presenting a more proper look and not just be this soldier all the time. And I said, you know, no. Badass. Yes, exactly. Because, you know, I'm a country girl, so that's how it is. Yeah, keep keep the truck. It's it's supposed to be banged up. Absolutely. You're... You're a soldier, so soldier first. Everyone has green camo on their vehicles or or dark green. However, because mine was specifically utilized for winter warfare, it's for winter camo. And that also aggravated the powers that be when I refused (laughs) to go with a different paint job. So ultimately, I'm now coming back into winter. Who's, you know, I guess I was the one that was onto something. You were just being prescient, right? Yes, exactly. It's not like we all didn't know winter was going to come again. Do they want you to, like, every other season, you're supposed to switch paint jobs on your vehicle? I'm afraid that if I ever turn the vehicle in to get painted, they would give me a sedan or something. So, no, I I can't even (laughs) risk it. Yeah, we don't want that. No. No. You're going to end up with a minivan. Um, (laughs) All right, we we got to jump in. You've you've been talking on your Twitter feed a lot about uh Rus- Russian disinformation and every now and again you end up being the topic of the Russian disinformation and this happened yet again and and now they even have um a giant playing card with you as a supervillain on it. So can you talk to us a little bit about the insanity of the disinformation about you personally? I want your audience to imagine this for a moment. And those who are listening, and I'm so appreciative that they're listening in, so they could realize what it is. Over the last 19 months, I have been the focus of a lot of Russian propaganda and disinformation. 
And it's heated up since I took on the role of spokesperson of the Territorial Defense Forces of for the Armed Forces of Ukraine. However, two nights ago, it hit a zenith, which I have a feeling they're going to outdo themselves anyway. But at this point, it's a zenith. If the audience could imagine Fox News, MSNBC, something like that, but owned by the state. So it's must watch one of the two major state-owned Russian television channels. They convened a panel of experts to dissect my life over the course of an hour. There was an hour-long program about me on Russian primetime state television where they just absolutely poked and prodded and tried to present me, as you said, a supervillain. Ultimately, I, you know, it's inspiring. It's inspiring to know that we've already beaten them because if they're having to focus on that, Lisa, then clearly they're not focused on the battlefield and they shouldn't be because we are inflicting massive losses on the Russian invaders. Yeah, we haven't talked about this before, Sarah, but you are, if we could have created a person that would have pissed the Russians off as royally as possible, we would have made Sarah Ashton Cirillo because not only are you a woman, you're a trans woman, you're fighting for Ukraine, but you're an American. So, you know, double strikes against you for being on Ukraine's side and coming from the U.S. And you are now the face of the American face and voice of the messaging going to English speaking, but primarily Americans. The attacks come at you regularly. You know, this falls into the category of judge me by my enemies. So you're doing well. This is this is good. The more hate, like, you know, you're doing the right stuff. When they're dissecting your life, does any of this shit matter to you? Or is it just noise and you, you, like I said, you know you're doing the right thing? So I don't watch my own interviews. I don't read my own interviews with Western media or with Ukrainian media. However, I'm riveted by Russian coverage of me. The reason I'm riveted is because they always attempt to outdo themselves. So at Easter, they announced that I was Satan. And then... When they believed, and this has still not been confirmed or not, but when they believed that I entered Russia, because this was a thing, they decided that I must be not responding to the Ukrainian government, but that I was actually responding to everyone's favorite super, super villain, Victoria Newland. That I was promoted to the idea that Victoria Newland herself was my handler. I mean, because that's how deep in their minds I was. All right. For, for the benefit of people who don't know, tell us who this is. Victoria Newland is a State Department employee, very well respected among the diplomatic corps across the world. She's held different positions within the Obama and Biden administrations. She's worked with different think tanks as well in between the administrations. And currently she has uh, multiple roles within the African continent as well as Europe. And so she was blamed by the Moscow regime for inciting the overthrow of the Ukrainian government in 2014. They just decided it was her. And if anyone could appreciate what Victoria Nuland just being, you know, in a sense, launched out of obscurity by the Russians was me. Because ultimately the Russians, you know, figured out there was Victoria Nuland 10 years ago and, and now there's me and nine or whatever, eight, nine years later. And so ultimately when I'm watching it, sometimes. I'll tell you what does aggravate me. 
It aggravates me when they just cut my clips because sometimes I think they could edit me in even a harsher way. I want them to be frothing at the mouth. I want them to be rabid with anger over me. And I'm never going to apologize. I will never say I'm sorry. I will never feel guilty. And I will never apologize because we are fighting for liberty and democracy and liberation. And the Russians, they're just putting out entertainment. Yeah, and it's weird entertainment. I don't spend a lot of time watching Russian television, but it looks like some kind of spoof from 20 years ago. It's the weirdest. The, the people are all weird and the graphics are weird and the color, like everything about it is sort of bizarro world news, faux news casting. Speaking of faux news, I just have to throw this in there because Resolute Square, who produces this show, as we all know, and, but Tucker Carlson has also attacked me recently using Russian talking points. And so the audience, for them to truly understand the situation and the magnitude of how insidious Russian propaganda is, Tucker Carlson oftentimes repeats talking points that the genesis is coming from these Russian propagandists. So although we're laughing about them, they have made some inroad among people who are anti-democratic, anti-fundamentally Republican in the sense of the U.S. Republic as a democracy, and who are just simply anti-freedom. Tucker Carlson features frequently clips of him on Russian television. He he is their poster boy for Russian disinformation, making it effectively into the mainstream of at least the right in the U.S. But his talking points get peppered across so many other places within the United States, you know, just um, spreading out from social media. So the, the talk a little bit more about Russian disinformation, because you you deal with dispelling it a lot. You have a, a daily uh, called Russia Hates the Truth, which is a lot about dispelling the disinformation. So tell us, how are you in advance identifying this? I mean, don't give any state secrets, but you know what I mean. I'm smiling about this. And, and you know, I'm talking over you a little bit, but I'm so excited because it's truly been this 24-hour tsunami of Russian obsession. And you just brought up something that made me so proud from a information war standpoint. And I, I have to jump in. I ha- And I'm sorry about cutting you off, but I think you were coming to this point. So, Today on Russian television, so the big one-hour show was a couple of nights ago. Today on Russian television, mid-morning breaking news, was a photoshopped alleged direct message taking place regarding me on Instagram. And while I'm not going to repeat the lie, I will say it it was bizarrely innocuous compared to what... I don't know why they launched it. it. It was just bizarre. Ultimately, though, we discovered it last night. And in discovering it last night, we were prepped for a response to it. I went ahead and actually messaged a couple of commanders at command level across the military with strategic communications and then my own territorial defense forces media commander. And I said, hey, we just identified this making the rounds. And I wanted to point out that this was photoshopped. It's not authentic. And let's be ready because we basically can pick up what they're going to be using as their talking points by understanding 
where it's making its way through the propaganda ecosystem. And in this particular case, because it's literally my job to help uh, uncover Russian propaganda, we found it at nearly its source. And we were able to be aware of it at 9 p.m. last night. And by 11 a.m. this morning, Russian time, so 14 hours later, Russia was airing it and we were able to get a statement out. We were able to speak to the Ukrainian media because Ukrainians were a bit confused. They said, can this really be real? And I was able to show the media, as they say, the receipts and said, no, this was what was going on here at the timestamps last night. So ultimately, we pay very close attention. We may smile and laugh about it, but we pay very close attention because we know how terrible the spread is. And it's something that in the United States over the last eight years now, 2015 until present, we've seen such a, a horrific plague of disinformation. And ultimately, if you look at some of the indictments, where did that original disinformation, misinformation come from? What I call information chaos theory, it came from Russia and was seeded into the United States. And it's still going on today. One of the big things going on today that I really wanted to make sure we talked about today is the depleted uranium weapons. People hear depleted uranium, they hear uranium and, you know, panic sets in and people don't understand what this is. And the Russians knew that and they're taking full advantage of it. Can you explain to the English speakers, Americans listening to this, how much of the disinformation about what these weapons are that we're hearing and reading, seeing on social in the U.S. is coming from Russia. One of the great leaders of today's American democracy, Congressman Adam Kinzinger, who recently retired as a lieutenant colonel in the Air National Guard, uh, retired from Congress after last session, after the 117th session, he linked to a piece in the Washington Post about depleted uranium. And to sum it up, and I also posted about it last night, depleted uranium comes from a byproduct of uranium that basically has become inert. Ultimately, if you have it in mass quantity, it would not be good for the drinking water. Where it's being utilized is not only not going to affect the population in any sort of radioactive way, it's never something that is radioactive. Then, hence the term depleted and the sense is the byproduct. So ultimately, not only does it not pose a threat to the civilian population in general, it's most definitely not going to pose a threat to anyone but Russian tank drivers. The shells are utilized to break through the armor of even the newest Russian uh, tanks and then to penetrate and catch fire. Simply put, it would burn itself out. However, as we saw with the depicums or the dual-purpose munitions that were sent over here, uh, also known as cluster munitions. Russia jumped on those. Russia jumped on the depleted uranium shells and said that basically the United States is helping Ukraine commit ecocide. The one country that is committing ecocide in this war is Russia, and not just from their full-scale invasion, because as a reminder to everyone, and you and I have discussed this, the war could end tomorrow if Russia left. And then there would be no more environmental damage ongoing, although we would have to clean it up. 
However, Russia has gone out of their way to literally enact ecocide, such as the Kakahovska Dam explosion, which was Russia, such as the Nord Stream pipeline explosion, which was a Russian false flag, most likely. We're still uncovering that, but I do believe it was a Russian false flag attack in order to blame the West. And we saw from Seymour Hersh and others using that conspiracy. So ecocide is what the Russians know best. It's part of the terrorism that they enact. And so with their extortion, there's no other term to use, extortion of the International Atomic Energy Commission in their threats to blow up the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, that too is the clearest sign of Russian projection with the depleted uranium. The United States sends over something that just happens to have uranium in the name and does no harm from a nuclear standpoint, radioactive standpoint to the places it's being used. Russia is literally threatening to destroy a nuclear power plant that would create the biggest nuclear catastrophe since Japan. Yeah, you you mentioned projection. You can almost take any Russian talking point that is negative against, we see this really around the globe with the far right. Like if we, we zoom out a little bit, Whatever it is they are accusing somebody else of, it is very likely it's what they are doing themselves. Ultimately, it's the ploy du jour. And it's something that's very easy because for Russia, they don't care about actually explaining anything. For them, it's creating chaos. So if they are mirroring or going ahead and and projecting upon the population, whatever it is that they want to get across, it doesn't matter what the truth is. They just want to create chaos. And in this particular case, chaos is very easy to create through this projection theory. Because if somebody looks and says, hold on, it's like the Spider-Man meme. If both sides are pointing at each other, then you're going to grow tired and not necessarily understand what it is. And that's why I tell everyone who is paying attention to this Russian aggression and these Russian war crimes, don't listen to talking points. Look at the actual actions on the ground, the irrefutable evidence of war crimes, the irrefutable evidence of terrorism. Even if we were to strip out the areas that we don't have 100% proof and we only have 99%, it's still enough war crimes to keep every member of the Kremlin and all supporters of this Russian aggression in the docket at The Hague and in Ukrainian courts for the next generation. So let's talk what really is going on on the ground. Um, there there was talk for a while. The press was kind of latching on to what is likely more Russian disinformation that we then, you know, recycle and, and put out as news in the U.S. that the offensive has not been going well. That's sort of been walked back recently, but tell us where we are in the war right now. Ukraine is winning this war of liberation against Russia. There's no question. I will call the progress steady. I will say that in multiple different areas of a 1,100-mile front line, sorry, 1,100-kilometer front line, that we are advancing in multiple directions. Russia's tried a counteroffensive or a counterattack strategy against us in the northeast part of the country. They have failed over and over again. And ultimately, the journalists and the think tanks that were pushing this narrative 
were getting anxious. They needed something to write about. And instead of writing about facts, they wrote with conjecture. They wrote with opinions. And it's one of the problems that we've seen oftentimes in this erosion of democracy across the world is that while journalists are heroes, and I've said this publicly and I'll say it publicly for the rest of my life, journalists are heroes, journalists need to report and not become opinion columnists. And so we saw this overriding theme from would-be opinion columnist as to what was happening. And over and over at our command level and from the civilian leadership in Ukraine and from the U.S. leadership, not those who were speaking anonymously, but those who were going on record, said, hold on, this is not a movie. This is not a TV show. It's not going to be over in an hour, but Ukraine is proceeding apace. And now everyone realizes that what we were saying was in fact correct. Are you seeing any difference on the ground with the Wagner forces? Right. So we we all know that it was just sort of this chance fluke thing that a plane that Prigozhin was in that happened to be flying over Moscow blew up. And, and so did he. Good riddance. But uh, maybe the one thing that I I ever think was a positive that Vladimir Putin likely had quite a hand in. But so what what is the difference that you're seeing without those forces? Were they really a significant piece? They seem to be the best trained. Ultimately, I will defer to what President Zelensky stated and was lost in the media maelstrom over the counteroffensive. We had, as a military, killed 20,000 Wagner fighters. We had weakened Wagner, as it's known, considerably. And then Vladimir Putin weakened them the rest. So after Bakhmut, they truly didn't play any significant role within Ukraine. Obviously, Wagner had their pockets of supporters in the African continent and some other areas around the globe, specifically Syria. But in general, since Bakhmut, Wagner has been a non-factor in Ukraine. And now Wagner has been all but uh, disappeared, for lack of a better term, disappeared off of the Russian grid. We are still fighting criminals. Russia has a criminal contingent called Storm Group Z that was being recruited from the same place as Wagner recruited their people. Wagner fought very hard in Bakhmut. They ended up, as I said, losing 20,000 soldiers to us. Or No, they're not soldiers, mercenaries. 20,000 Wagner mercenaries were lost to us, and they were just added to the same death toll. But that just goes to show you how pathetic the Russian military is, which should have been the second strongest military in the world, had to rely on private war criminals, private savages, these mercenaries who were fighting hard because they wanted to get paid, and they wanted to go back to Russia to rape and pillage. And that is what the encapsulates Russian society. Let's hire some mercenaries to invade a land. And then when their contract's up, allow them to run around and rape and pillage our women and children. Yeah, you mentioned in our last conversation that Russia is committing a genocide against its own people. And that's, yeah, that's such a good example of the kind of things that they allow to happen. You said criminals and... Absolutely, the mercenary forces are criminals, but they're they're also, and and it sounds like they might be running out of these people. They've been emptying the prisons. I don't want to assume that everybody in a Russian prison is even a criminal, 
but they have been emptying their prisons and putting completely untrained former convicts. I don't know if they have to go back after they serve if they don't get killed, but it sounds like most of them are getting killed. Most of them were getting killed. Part of the deal with Wagner, which made it so unbelievable that Russia agreed to this, is that they had their sentences commuted if they made it for six months to a year, depending on what their sentence was serving. So people who committed rape and murder, this was not hyperbole, were being released back onto the streets of the Russian Federation, and some of them killed again. This isn't propaganda from our side. This was reported in the Russian press because ultimately Putin had to do something about Wagner because they were running amok and Putin himself is the only one who wants to be allowed to genocide the Russian people. Right. And one of the special privileges of being president for life in Russia, you get to genocide your own people. So wrapping up, what do we need to know this week between now and when we talk again next Thursday? I think we're going to see a further collapse of what's known as the Russian defensive lines. There was some talk about it over the last 10 days that's most likely going to accelerate. We're also going to see a consolidation of Russian troops in different areas from a more strategic standpoint. And as our gains start to widen, and I'm using that term very specifically because along the front lines, our gains are widening. And as they widen, our partners from across the globe are going to understand why the continued support of Ukraine is the absolute best use of their citizens and their taxpayers' dollars in the foreign sphere. It's always amazing to talk to you. Thank you for pulling off on the side of the road to have this conversation. Thank you for this. Yes. It's nice. It's actually nice to see you out of the studio. It seems like you you might just like have a cot in the corner and you pretty much live in the studio now that you have this new role. So happy you're able to occasionally go outside, at least as far as getting in a car to go to a meeting. It's such a joy. For real, Lisa, like to have pulled off on the side of the road, it felt like the old school when I was still doing journalism here, like, uh oh, we got to get off the road and is the connection good and everything? And no, I, as you can see, it's a little bit lighter this week, even though the, the segment is still just as serious because war is not good. War sucks. But ultimately, just as long as the people remain interested, as long as the audience from Resolute Square and, and all the supporters of freedom and democracy in the United States continue to support us, then we're grateful and we're going to continue to liberate Ukraine. Yeah. Thank you, Sarah. That's such an important point. And, and Americans need to remember this is not just supporting Ukraine. It is supporting democracy around the world, including in the United States. We talked a lot about disinformation today and that's that's only a piece of the war on democracy that that we're fighting against, but that you are literally on the zero line of. So sure. can't wait to talk to you again next week. Follow Sarah on Twitter at Sarah Ashton LV. I'm at Elsie Senecal. Follow Resolute Square at Resolute Square pretty much everywhere. And we'll talk to you again next week. Sarah, Slava Ukraini. Thank you. Kiriam Slava, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Zero Line, a podcast brought to you by Resolute Square. Resolute Square's mission is to inform, lead, and connect. And The Zero Line is one of the tools that followers of Resolute Square can use to fight back against tyranny while championing democracy. Please like and subscribe to The Zero Line wherever you podcast and follow us on Twitter at Resolute Square 
or visit ResoluteSquare.com. Thanks once more for hanging out at The Zero Line.